Hi, I'm Paul Price. Welcome back to The Argument. This is part two with Stephen Cohen, who is a, a technical uh, technical business, uh, just-in-time, save-the-world kind of architect, my kind of guy. Um, for those of you who heard part one, we talked a lot about engineering, architecture, uh, multiple scopes, how to move quickly, how to have rigorous decisions, how to keep your architecture in alignment across multiple running streams, and uh, kind of got a little uh, down and dirty into what that role really means. Uh, on this episode, I hope to uh, I hope to dig into what does a modern stack look like, uh, both in the Microsoft world as well as outside of it. Uh, what does it mean to be multi-cloud? What does it mean to be hybrid? What does it mean to build a lasting application? And what are the specific techniques we hope to accomplish? Uh, we use to do that. Uh, so, welcome back, Stephen. How you doing? Uh, we'll say up front, I don't want to sit on the, the, the vendor product side of this. Uh, we can talk about multi-cloud in terms of generic multi-cloud, but I'm not picking a side. All right. That's what I, I have no problem with that. I just, um, in fact, that, I guess that's one of the things that makes us mo most architects, uh, good architects, isn't it? That we, right we, uh, we, we, we don't care about what we implement it with as long as what we implement it with is the right thing. Yep. It's about All right. and outcome. Okay, so I want to start with what does a modern app look like? And, and if you could clarify, what the hell is, digi is, is sorry, cloud native? Like, right. I want to know what a cloud native app in, has to have to make it into cloud native land. So, all right, second one first. Uh, cloud yeah. native for me um, is the gold standard of cloud implementation. That means that you are actually leveraging all the capabilities that have been provided by someone who's already figured it out, stretched, scaled it, and essentially certified their components. They're providing you some form of SLA for it. So you're not going to bring to the cloud anything that isn't already there. You, you're going to build not in a container protecting yourself from the outer host, but you're going to leverage the features and functions of that host. So cloud native, without regard for which cloud you choose, is going to use that cloud's capability for the best that it has to offer. And you will only fit out the last little bit, which is a special thing that makes it yours. Oh, so, so, so let's talk about one essential factor then of cloud native. And, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not asking for the right answer. I'm asking for the decision sure. criteria that mean you chose the right cloud native, uh, cloud -native design. Okay, so let's talk uh, uh, effectively VMs, Containers. You're already not cloud native. It's, 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 as soon it, as you get hosted by somebody else, you are not. You are protecting yourself from the cloud once you go into a container or VM. You have to be the, the native function running on board the platform. That's where cloud native starts. You aren't constrained that way. Not by the VM, not by the container, not by the platform. You're, okay, so I'm still, I'm, I'm still thinking, okay, again, I have a VM description, right? Or I have a container, or I have serverless. What's inside the VM? What? Yeah. Okay. What's inside the VM? It's some sort of executable, yep. some number of libraries that talk to each other, and what allows them to exist. Mm -hmm. The ability to have a call come in, do their features and functions, and then return a thing. Yes. It has nothing to do with the VM container. Or really even cloud, right? So now I want all that that little layer of goo to run without the constraint of the box. 
I'm not going to protect myself from the vendor in any way. Okay. That's life is hard right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm still, to... I'm sorry, I'm, and I'm just not getting it. So explain more, so, because um, to me, if it, the question of cloud native then becomes, I've got some goo to run, you know? your cloud hosted, right? Which is, if I, yeah. as soon as I go into a VM, I can put that VM on my desktop and run it, and I'm OS hosted. I can put it on AWS, and I'm AWS hosted. Right. Azure, 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 great. Right. But that's not cloud native. That's just an environment that gives me a runtime to run my own runtime. That's what yes. the VM does. I get that. That's, so infrastructure. So what what level do we have to go to? For so do, are you saying we have to go to functions and serverless for that to be cloud native? That is the gold standard for me. Yes. Okay. Because then instancing, scaling, security, I, kinds of security, infrastructure. Those are things that I that are all software designed, software implemented, and dynamic if I need them to be. I'm not. I, I, there's no knob I can't turn at that point. So if I decide I need to change routing and I am cloud native, I can do that dynamically or have the underlying infrastructure do it, which is what actually happens. But things are constantly optimized for me. I don't have to touch them, but I can if I want to. If I'm inside a VM, the only thing I can do is inside that box. I can't even create another instance of that box from inside the box. That all has to be now another host outside of it. Oh, that's containers. Well, it's not even really the containers, the container cluster manager, which is now hosted on yeah. something else too. So I'm a host on a host on a host on a host before I get to me. Yeah, yeah. And what I want for cloud native is to take the me goo and throw the rest away and okay. let it be. At what level of granularity then? Let's talk about composition uh, um, and functional composition uh, as well as storage and uh you know uh, structured versus unstructured data and, and coupling in that way so effectively you know i mean i can write a a well i don't know i saw i got one guy who wrote a function in the cloud to add two variables together mm -hmm. which was which was native to the language he wrote it in yeah. okay that was a little high level of, i thought that was a bit of a Bit, bit too low a level of granularity to be writing a function for. So, <laughs> where do you, how do you create these server, uh, serverless aspects in a functional way to make them uh, to make them uh, at the right what you call it the right altitude? I think was. The... <laughs> yeah. I think the uh, it's about knowledge of the platform that you are using. So, if your platform is Azure or your platform is AWS. You have to suddenly be aware of the now, and I'm going to pick on Azure because I know it best. My apologies to the rest of the world. Um, I think we've got something like 600 services. The average service has something like 20 features, and a feature may have something around four to 10 API interfaces. Um, you've got to understand them well enough to use them to pick the right ones. So sometimes you're gonna pick a large grain feature like a service bus. It's got a lot of capability. You wanna leverage your capability and let it do its thing. Sometimes you're gonna pick a low level feature like being able to um, intercept a TCP IP packet. Yeah, okay. It's totally doable and I can do it within the fan. Now what happens in the latter case is that cloud is gonna protect itself from me. I'm actually going to be limited by my host because I'm not natively on, I'm running on their hardware, 
but I'm running within a tenant on their hardware, mm -hmm. which runs with, I'm now running within a subscription in the tenant. And now I'm running on, you know, the thing that I instanced within that subscription. So I can check traffic, but only the traffic I'm allowed to, so that I don't hurt anybody else. I need to be a good citizen of my community. Uh, several cloud native apps running at the same time have to be friendly or isolated. That's your choice. So if you are the owner of an enterprise, you want to have a bunch of stuff interoperating, use the same directory to look up people, they need to play nice because you're going to be exposing capability to them. All right, I, but I, I'm I'm going straight. Okay, so just a, a little use a user story here for me. Then cloud native, I have to update. Okay, I have a thing in an app I'm 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 working on uh, that is an assessment of someone, right? And that you go through, you assess your competencies as an architect, um, and then you save the data. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So <laughs> fill out the fill out the assessment, save the data. Um, now. Uh, that's well, how many functions let's just stay with Azure since you know it best. And I'm honestly deployed on spring yeah. boot on, on Azure and myself. So, um, so I have some app service stuff, but I am doing some function stuff. So what, what, give me, give me the, the rundown. Is that one big function? Is that seven? What do I use Cosmo SQL server? I mean, what's the cloudest native version of that? So I'm going to go bottom up from the technology stack in a way. For storage, wait, if you want to use something that is uh, natively global, because you have a global infrastructure or you have a global business that's going mm -hmm. to interact, or that you need to have very high speed representation of data done in one region show up in another, or you have to have control of you know multi-master, right? Um, you may pick a large storage system for that that is different than say a SQL instance where it is regionalized within your tenant, yep. your subscription, and then replicated out to another zone for disaster recovery failure. Yeah, so I want um, Cosmo for that reason, right? I want I want Cosmo instances that are globally available, right. ultimately. So now, I started out serverless on that because I was pro perfectly fine with a single region for development and for initial deployment and blah, blah, blah. But then, okay, so I'm in a NoSQL world with unstructured data. Got it. That's globally available. They gotcha. Right. So now I, to go in the middle, we'll do something simple. We'll call it Azure Functions. Yep. Azure Functions can be custom written weird things, or they can be code that calls other pieces of code that are servers or services available. For something like get data, set data, not, not particularly complex. You could just write a few functions and let it flow through. You want to get up to the top on the UI end where I want to show you the form and capture the data. Yeah. Here's where things get more interesting. Yeah. Um, because there isn't a lot of serverless stuff to do that. So you're going to write that in something Hosty. You know, whether it's old school ASP or you're doing something on Java now or you go to GoDaddy, you know, there are all kinds of tools that will generate effectively html and a call it to a rest interface sure you got to react we got we can go react react native we can go i'm i'm sure. using a thing called vaden because i it's java and it compiles to javascript and it's super nice but but it doesn't matter whatever um, <laughs> but the trick is for that thing you're going to get you just have to give it a call uh, something to receive its call so chances are you're going to build something akin to a thin facade layer of rest interfaces that will then call your functions right right so 
tool of choice is a thing you've got to do custom view for. And now, can I can I design a function to call functions, or what would you use to route yeah. the, to route those functions? Would you would you create a an endpoint uh, function that was effectively a set of uh, you know kind of an orchestration an orchestration uh, acti uh, activity? I think you get a lot of options. Uh, Particularly because now we're in a world of low code, no code, in addition to sort of custom coding things. <laughs> yeah. um, there's some advantage to low code, no code. And part of that is fewer decisions, but simpler design, right? I do the mm -hmm. things that, that work really well. Um, Mike Fitzmorris was on the panel when we did the last build. He's a low code, no code guy and made an extremely compelling argument for simplifying the design and simplifying operations downstream because of it. I'm a custom code guy because if you do low code, no code on job. So uh, you, you look for those Okay, I, first and foremost, that we, we I, Oracle Forms, MS Access, uh, you know, uh, they've all proven that that is not true. They, the, the more people use solutions, the more we realize that low code falls apart at the at the edges on the systems that we build. If you use the right tool for the right job, it works exceptionally well. The problem is people don't always make the right choices. Well, especially because Whether this whole forums or access. I'm sorry, but the citizen developer, give me a freaking break yeah, that's gonna... marketing and i'm not that's uh, <laughs> I have a position on that i think i'm a citizen and i develop i just happen to have more experience than the average citizen um I, i'm down i'm down with that um the initial the, the standard space for every architect is decomposition look at that front end input look at the decisions that need to be made do they need to be made on the client do they need to be made on the server do they need to make be made after storage start allocating the right technical decisions at the right point. So you may go low code, no code to build the UI and then have custom code on the back on the client that allows some very uh, validation before it's sent. And then you may have low code, no code APIs because you bought a piece off marketplace yeah. that allows you to just host that app. And then we'll go back to custom functions on the back end because there's some goo you want before it stores. So how many times did you, how, in this in this layout that you've given us, A, I haven't heard anything about async, non-async, uh, and orchestra, you know, effectively service uh, hub style, service mesh style kinds of things. But how many times in that list of things that we just went through, do you feel that you broke the cloud, the cloud native gold, the platinum standard thing at all? Or, or, or did you ever? No, I don't think, except for the potential of a marketplace app, which is you're buying into whatever they decided to do. Um, the cloud native app, if you're using the cloud itself to host the functions, the storage, the transport, networking protocols, identity, you know, the usual cross-cutting concerns. Mm -hmm. You're going to make decisions about the other. So if I have a, a mission-critical application as a business, yeah, I mean, and I'm talking about like the, the things you would put eight nines on if you could. Um, 
Nobody's got that much money. I was going to say. Governments. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, what kind of database, what kind of system would that, that, only thing I can think of is maybe like missile tracking systems or something, right? As a public sector guy, I could probably give you some that have been built for incredible degrees of civilian right. availability, but we don't want to talk about that right now. Mm. Um, I, I think what you're going to do is decide, how do I want to protect now this simple stack which is cloud native for problems. So I might decide that I want to have client side caching and that caching is going to be, you know, in the browser. Great. If my cache fails, where do I recover from? Well, I can right. use a cloud native cache or I could have another cache or I have a separate call that renews my cache because I can absorb the latency for that call. Um, you may decide that the application that's the front end host to your API layer, it has to meet scale rapidly. That might be a good argument to be made for containerization or even clustering, uh, you know, Kubernetes. But there are other choices that are cloud native also. And part of that's because the cloud providers see this as a necessary feature to provide. So they have given options, all of the cloud providers. You're usually some sort of API management scheme. So, Again, there's still choices along the way, and you just start doing is deciding how valuable is cloud native. Yeah, and it's okay, so especially valuable for the back end goo, and not as much value for the the front end client side. Yeah, yeah. End. Don't you land in cloud? I mean, do, tell me about the. This, let's just end on this because I know that you've got limited time for this next section. What about multi cloud? Then how can you be cloud native and do anything that's multi-cloud yeah we are at the, the beginning of industry now it's it's everything's new and it's still a land grab so everybody wants to be unique so you choose them um, multi-cloud is hard multi-cloud as a it, frequently the decision in my world it's been made because they don't want to rely on a single cloud vendor and that's understandable from a business side i get that but it's extremely complicated because we do not have feature parity so you end up either going to the lowest right. common denominator, which is not a lot of capability, puts me back into containers, puts me back into Kubernetes, or I move parts of my features, the features I can match. And that makes disaster recovery and disaster response incredibly complicated too. And our job is to remove perplexity, not add it. So you have to kind of wait these things out. Like, is it gonna be okay? Could I recover to another geographic region which is going to be slower instead of another cloud in the same region well don't don't, don't we have to deal with complexity as simply a factor of, of a multifaceted decision process itself like i i'm gonna be complex in one way so for example i can decrease developer complexity uh, development team complexity by reducing the number of languages and, and, and yeah, development the hard things so other people don't have to I, i'm right. never going to make it easier on myself or my team it's about making sure the customer has the right level of what they need. But I'm looking at complexity in terms of knowns and unknowns, mm -hmm. right? Not numbers of things. I can have a million moving parts, but if they're all well-known parts doing well-known things, it's not a complicated system. It's just a bunch of parts. If what I have is disaster recovery, a really well-worn path, and I'm willing to walk the path pretty much as known, then I'm not gonna be particularly complicated by default. So the well-worn version of that is I'm on-prem, I fail to another on-prem site somewhere. And I start moving into the new and lesser known, 
and I get into complicated, but still not yet complex, I can figure it out. How do I make these cloud things look like that second site? The really complex one is doing disaster recovery in a cloud native environment because there's a lot of unknown unknowns out there. there people haven't been doing it, so there, there's a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And that makes it feel really hard. But it's because we don't know. It's because there's not a lot of experience around and books written about it and people saying, I've done it, and it works. Yeah, see, this is what I hate. About, so what, do I, what, I, what I can't stand about our field, and I'm just trying to get your last thoughts on this, and then we'll call it a, we'll call it an, a, a, a great second interview. Um, and I think something we should follow up on is why – you said it earlier in our first interview. You said this is more about the science than it is about the art. Yes. And, and yet we work at the bleeding edge, partly due to our our the large amount of vendor hype in the world, as well as the the massive demand and, quite frankly, an you know an inexhaustible demand with a relatively small supply of capable people. Yes, but so we have... it's still science. I think what we're talking about here is the architect's job is to not shy away from the complex unknowns; it's to dive into it do the work, figure it out, work with the team to do prototypes if you must, model to understand, get into the vendor documentation, find the parts that could or do not work for you, force a, a, a test and do rigorous analysis and then give the customer a result. No argument there. How do we begin to share that amongst ourselves so that it can be, you know, it was Einstein that said, you know, no amount of testing can prove me right, but it only takes yeah. one one um, you know thing to prove me wrong. How do we get there? What do we do? Because we can't share this information because it belongs to our client, and you know, so we end up with, well, whatever the marketers tell us must be true. No, I think it, the reoccurring theme everywhere in my world is simple: do the work. You are, as an architect, hopefully a competent architect, capable of understanding what enough work is, and you can't. Don't cheat. Don't cut the corners. Don't believe the marketer. Don't just read the documentation and say it's okay. Um, there's too much stuff out in the world to use as a coder that the documentation is not competent. Absolutely. It work. Just yeah, but go in I, with enough skepticism to try. You got the you got a world filled with people that um, that uh, I mean, quite frankly, we are the least well trained profession in the world. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, let's not open that bag of worms. This was awesome. Okay. I at least feel like I have the beginnings of a working cloud native uh, architecture now. So that could, with some real definitions that we can start to bank on, would love to see this decisioning, tr this decision tree to say whether the final outcome is cloud native. And then why would we benefit from some portion of that being possibly, you know, transitionable to a non and into a hosted world i mean honestly there's yeah i did my ending note here give up on the term cloud native it's because it doesn't mean anything to all people all the same and start talking about highly optimized for the environment you're in okay so if i'm hosted by the cloud why am i protecting myself from it embrace be as as effective and efficient as you can be in the space you deploy to I like it. Lifting shift is a, not a waste I, of time, but it's not a good step. 
we need a we need a we need the to to do the that in a nice little mar- mar- marketing friendly way because you know we're always going to lose when people are saying cloud native because it sounds so good, man. No, it's catchy. So is digital transformation. Oh God, I know. <laughs> uh, and and which is great because it's a wonderful marketing term for consulting organizations, right? As long as you're always yeah. digitally transforming, you always need a bunch of consultants and vendors. It, yeah. It's you when you reach. Call, you're gonna when you reach the outcome, then you don't need them anymore. So why would we want to be there? <laughs> All right, Stephen, thank you so much for your time. And uh, you. this was awesome. Yeah. Any uh, last words of wisdom for architects out there? Do the work. Do the work. <sighs> thank you for joining us on The Argument. I will be back with yet another uh, brilliant uh, uh, speaker and maybe a set of speakers next week and uh, talk to you then.